Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello and welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Today we have another great episode. Today is about your credit score and your credit profile, something very important as you know, because the better your credit, the better financing and terms you get on your loans, whether it be mortgage financing or for car loans or appliances or furniture or whatever it might be, even for renting. I mean, a lot of uh, landlords will pull your credit to see what the risk factors are preventing you from making timely payments every month to them. So credit is incredibly important. It's something you should build and protect. And uh, my guest today is going to talk about what credit is, how it works, how to build it and protect it, and some of the hacks to improve it. Some of them are quick, so you might want to stick around to the very end of this episode and listen to some of the quick hacks that allow you to boost your credit and quickly. With that, let us get to our interview with Todd, and I uh, hope you learn a lot from today's episode. Well, it is my honor to have a special guest today. His name is Todd Wilson. Todd is a loan officer, but he's also a credit expert. He teaches people how to take control of their credit. He's the author of a great book called Crack the Credit Code. I love that title. Todd spent two decades learning about credit, and after experiencing the effects of not knowing enough about it, he really made it his mission to research all the smallest details about credit and how it works. So with that, Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you, Marco? Doing great. It's great having you on, and it was a lot of fun chatting with you before this recording. I'm kind of excited to dive into the meat and potatoes of this topic because everybody has one common denominator, and that is they have a credit profile and they have a credit score. Most people don't know how it works, how to build it, or how to destroy it. They probably know how to destroy it better than they know how to build it. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that we've talked about in the years past on the show, and I just think it's well worth revisiting, especially at a greater depth with you, because it's something that we need. It's important if we're going to take control of our financial lives and we're going to be borrowing capital to invest in real estate or whatever it might be. So I really think this is an important topic for everybody to listen to. This touches everybody. It's not one of those things where oh, I might be interested in promissory notes or I might be interested in real estate or I might be interested in this or that. This impacts everybody. So with that, Todd, why don't you tell us about yourself? How did you get into this whole credit expert space? What was your journey? Well, starting out as a loan officer, I had to learn about credit to begin with. And you know everything was going pretty well as I was learning about credit, improving my own. And then 2008 hit and it hit me pretty much as hard as it had hit anybody at all. I mean, you know, I went through bankruptcy, foreclosure, you know, lost everything. And I decided at that point, credit kind of got me into that mess. So I wasn't going to use credit anymore. And so I didn't use credit for about three years. And I realized how much that was actually holding me back because I couldn't buy a house. I couldn't buy a car. couldn't even rent a car or get a hotel room without a lot of trouble. So I decided that I had to get back into the credit game but I didn't know how to do it. And so I decided to ask a bunch of other people who were in the same industry, because I figured they know about credit too. The problem was most of them had no idea how to get credit when you had bad credit or no credit at all. And so finally, somebody gave me a suggestion on how to get my first new account. And I got that account. I couldn't believe I got approved. And then after about six months, I checked my credit score and it was actually the highest it had ever been. So I went, okay, obviously I'm doing something right, but I don't know the whole picture. And so I started doing more research because I didn't want to fall into the same mess that I was in before. And 
as I was doing all this research, finding out how to control my credit, I found something really interesting, which was, it's actually kind of shocking, which is that there's about 250 million American adults, right? Well, 87 million of those have what's considered bad credit. And then there was another 45 million that had no credit score at all. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, that's over half the adults in the U.S. have either no credit or bad credit. And so the journey changed from being my own personal one to I need to make this available to other people, too. Interesting. So you went down this road of learning about credit because it's not that you needed it, but it was interesting to find out how many people didn't have credit or had bad credit in America. Yeah. I mean, you know, I found myself down that rabbit hole, Yeah. you know, finding out more and more data. And I was like, okay, this stuff needs to be known because, you know, the credit bureau will give you a certain amount of information, but they don't dig deep. Right. They don't tell you how to use, you know, the different credit scoring factors against each other and with each other to really effectively manipulate your credit score. Well, I always like to start with the basics on the show and ask the most fundamental basic question to get things started. What is credit? I mean, everybody hears it. They have an idea of what it is. I would believe that most people would answer that question of what is credit by saying it's a number or a score, but it, I know it's more than that. So let's just start with that. What is credit? Credit is what people who are willing to lend money, what they look at your profile. It's their willingness to lend money to you. And it's based on their confidence that you're going to pay them back, you know, first and foremost. And there are other things they're going to consider too, but are you going to pay them back? And that's their number one concern. Yeah. And, and it is true that when we talk about someone's credit, we're talking about not just a credit score, which is to me boiling down everything about someone's credit profile into a numbering system. So it's like a quick metric, if you will. But there's so much more to credit. It's an entire credit profile, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many different things that go into it. You know, it, it's easy to look at it and say it's a number because people say, well, how's your credit? Oh, I have a 700, you know, is, is a pretty pat answer. Or I have a 650 or I have 750 or I have 800. But it doesn't really tell you what does their credit really look like because you can have an 800 credit score having one credit card. And you have one credit card, you know, you got a $5,000 credit limit. It's not going to be enough to buy a house. You know, a guy with a 720 credit score and he's got a lot more to his profile is going to have a much easier time buying a house. And get a better rate. That's right. So, I mean, this is probably such an obvious question to many people, but why is one's credit so important? I mean, the obvious answer is to be able to borrow, borrow money, you know, get a loan. But is there more to it than that? I mean, I think it touches many areas in one's life. It really does. I mean, the obvious answer is yes, it's going to affect whether you can get money from other people. But going deeper than that, it's the rate, what it's going to cost you, how hard is it going to be, you know, and then can you get another loan and another loan? I mean, how far can you extend yourself and how much can you leverage other people's money to get forward in life? Because, you know, for anybody who's an entrepreneur to really grow, you have to have credit unless you've inherited a bunch of money and you just got cash to burn which is rare for an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs don't generally come from that kind of background. They come from the background of, hey, I need to make it on my own. And making it on your own usually entails having to have credit so you can borrow money at a rate that is not going to be so expensive that it makes it untenable for you to build your business. Yeah, that's true. So there must be some myths wrapped around credit, what it is, even how it works. I can't imagine probably how many myths there might be tied to credit, but what might be one of the biggest myths tied to credit? One of the biggest myths I would say has to do with 
getting your credit pulled, you know, credit inquiry. Because oh, I've had yeah. people call me and say, they pulled my credit, my score went down 50 points. And having your credit, credit pulled one time absolutely positively cannot cause your score to drop 50 points. It's impossible. More than likely what happened was they checked our credit score on Credit Karma or, you know, they checked, you know, Experian or, you know, Equifax or something, or maybe one of their credit cards said your credit score is this. Then they applied for a mortgage and the mortgage credit scoring is a different scoring model. There are over 50 different credit scoring models. And so when somebody says my score is, that's just one of their scores. You know, so their score was 700 and then they applied for a mortgage and all of a sudden it's 650. Well, it's because it's a different scoring model. It was probably pretty close to 650 before it was pulled. Right. Yeah, that's something I learned not that long ago, but long ago, I'd say six, eight years ago, maybe at most. I thought, you know, a credit score was a credit score was a credit score. But there are three bureaus, but each bureau has different models. And there's your FICO 8, which is one. Mortgage lenders, you look at a FICO 4 and 6 and 12 or something like that. I mean, there's all these different models. Can you maybe talk about that, why there's different models and what it might mean? Yeah, so you've got, as you mentioned, you've got the mortgage ones, you've got ones for car loans, you've got ones for credit cards, you've got the ones they sell to the public, you know, and, and there are various other ones that, you know, honestly, I don't know what they all are because it's not important enough to really dig in and find out, hey, what's the, what are all of them, you know? But for mortgage, I'm sure it's weighted a certain way towards mortgages because what's the most important thing to a mortgage lender? It's the guy's mortgage payment. Have his mortgages been paid on time? You know, if you have a mortgage late, I've seen people's credit scores drop 100 points from one mortgage late payment. Whereas a credit card payment, I've never seen somebody's credit score on a mortgage credit report drop anywhere near that much. So that would be my guess is that they're weighted in terms of those industries, like for car loans. You know, your credit score is usually, from what I've seen, always going to be higher when you're applying for a car loan than it is when you're applying for a mortgage. Interesting. One of the services I've subscribed to, you know, it's not cheap, but it's not expensive is my FICO. And yeah. it allows me to actually track the real scores and real history and activity on my credit with the different bureaus, as well as all the different, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, the different FICO models. And I don't check it every day or every week, you know, I'm not that obsessed with it, but it's something that I do look at maybe once a month just to see what's going on. And if, you know, if, some, if there's an issue, you have a late, an accidental late, it'll give you a notification. It'll flag it and tell you, hey, you know, you just had a 30-day late recorded or whatever it may be, and you can address it. It's, it's actually a pretty good service, but it's just one way to keep track of your credit score, credit profile, and, you know, activity that's going on. And I think anybody who's interested in monitoring or building their credit score and working on their credit profile is probably well advised to subscribe to a service like that. Credit Karma is very shallow, one-dimensional, not to knock them down or anything. It's, you know, it is what it is, but it's, it's for the masses. It's just a consumer-based free credit scoring system. But, you know, what, what are they doing? They're selling ads and they're selling products from all their sponsors. And that's, you know, they're driving you there with a free score. Meanwhile, they're selling you, you know, insurance and loans and credit cards and other things. So, you know, it makes sense. But I like the service I'm using. And do you think it's a good idea for people to track and monitor their credit and credit score using a service like that? Absolutely. You can actually get a free account on Experian where you can track your Experian score, but it's not going to give you as much as what, you, what you're subscribing to. And you pay, what, what are you paying, like, you know, 
25 bucks a month or something. I don't think it's that much, but... I think they've got different plans. I think there's one yeah. maybe is like 15, one's a 25, and, and then you could probably pay more. I think one for that gives you like all three scores, whatever you want them. And, but I think it's important to have that sort of monitoring service because then you can see exactly what's going on. And, you know, in comparing it to Credit Karma, there are two big differences. Number one is Credit Karma is not a FICO score. Right. Yeah, it's it's a diff, it's called Vantage, and it's actually developed instead of by FICO by the three credit bureaus, and so it's got different things are are used to weight your score. For example, on Vantage, they take your credit card, not what you owe now, but they also look at your history, like your recent history of what has been owed on your credit cards. Whereas on FICO, let's say you've got a ten thousand dollar credit card, you owe nine thousand dollars on it, and it's dragging your score down. If you pay that off, next month your score jumps up. Whereas on Vantage, it doesn't jump up as fast. It's going to take more time because they're still looking at, oh, but you had that $9,000 balance before. So, you know, it, it can kind of skew things. And I've had people call me, yeah, Credit Karma says I've got a 730 credit score. And then we pull their score and it's a 670. There's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, very. So the scores are really just an oversimplified means for lenders to qualify you or to what is it like a spot check to see if you meet the minimum standards for a loan or for credit is that the reason for credit scoring and the reason why we have scores well that's the way they're used now but the original reason that they came up with the scores was to determine the likelihood that somebody would have a 90-day late payment at any time in the next 24 months and so of course that is no longer the emphasis. Now it's, okay, if you have a credit score of X, then you qualify for this. If you have a credit score of Y, you qualify for that. And it's become completely different from what was intended in the first one. I'm sure that Fair Isaac, you know, which is the company that makes these FICO scores, I'm sure they're thrilled about it because the scores have become the end-all be-all. I mean, I'm, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a loan officer and I do a lot of private money loans. And some of my investors will say, well, what's the guy's credit score? And, you know, I have to educate them into, you know, look, this is private money. That shouldn't be your primary concern because if they had a great credit score, they don't need you. So what becomes the metric then or the criteria? Well, for private money, the score really isn't such an important thing except for, you know, some individual investors. It's more about the property and how much is the property worth right. compared to the loan? And what's the guy's you know plan? Does he have a, a plan that makes sense? And is he going to actually make the payments? Does he have confidence that he's going to make the payments? And if he doesn't, that equity in that property is the fallback. Yeah. Well, that's asset-based lending, not so much credit-based lending. But That's right. But they still go hand in hand. They're, they're still going to look at the borrower regardless. Right. Yeah. Course. Interesting. So it sounds like credit and credit scoring has really become a risk mitigation tool. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, got it. All right. So we've talked about credit, what it is and you know why it's important, credit scores and scoring. Before I kind of move on to the next part of my questioning, is there anything else you want to add or talk about or something I missed as it relates to you know credit scores and credit profiles? Well, I think that something that's important for people to know is that if you don't have to have a perfect score to get a good loan or to get a loan that works for you because you don't necessarily have to get you know, the best loan, the best rate to make something work. I mean, for example, if somebody's buying a property that they're going to rehab and then you know, they're either going to sell it or they're going to refinance it, really the important thing is to make sure the numbers are going to work. You know, is this property going to 
either cash flow or is it going to provide profit in the end? And, you know, looking at, you know, well, my credit score has to be X before I can go and make money would be a huge missed opportunity. Right. Makes sense. Okay. So one thing we can agree on is everybody listening to this, tens of thousands of people all have a credit score and arguably a credit profile, which distills down into this credit score. I have a pretty good idea of what you're going to say here, but a lot of people are not familiar with credit scoring, the components that make up a credit score. So what are the biggest parts and the smallest parts of a credit score? What makes up someone's credit score? Well, the biggest part is your payment history. Okay. You know, have you had late payments or have you not had late payments? And there are varying degrees of that, that, you know, we probably don't have time to get into here, but I mean, I could, you know, go on for a while, but that's your number one thing is how is your payment history? And recent is more important, you know, so that's why credit repair is usually not advisable because the easiest things to remove are the older things that have less effect on your score. You know, if you had a late payment last month, they're not going to get it removed. 99 times out of 100 or maybe 999 times out of 1,000, it's not going to be removed because it's too recent. The creditor says, well, it was late. We got proof. It's right here. The next thing is uh, the credit usage. And this is mostly credit cards, but not only credit cards. It also applies to your other credit lines, you know, mortgages, car loans, whatever. And it's how, what percentage you're using. And you know, the, the biggest focus is always credit cards because that is the biggest part of this. So if you want to, you know, increase your credit score quickly, one of the fastest ways to do it is paying down credit cards. You know, whether you can get the, you know, money from, earning or borrow from a friend or family member or, or something in order to make something happen, that can be done very quickly. So that makes a lot of sense as far as recent utilization and credit payment history. I've heard all kinds of mixed things about credit cards and lines of credit. I even remember closing a $500 credit card, which was only $500. I never used it, never wanted it. And the reason I want to close is because they had this ridiculous annual fee of like $79 for a $500 credit line that was just so silly. And I thought this is more of a pain in the butt and a cost than I needed. It wasn't worth it. I was never going to use it. So I closed it and it had an immediate impact on my credit like my credit scores. And it was a significant drop, like point drop. Why? Because I closed this one account. So you can comment on this about how much credit you have and the utilization of that credit, not just the payment history. Why did my credit get hit so hard by closing a $500 credit card? Well, obviously I don't know the exact numbers of everything, but if you, let's, let's work with some real numbers just so we have somebody to compare it to. So let's say we've got somebody that's got $10,000 in available credit and they're using $3,000 of that. And that's a pretty good ratio. You're using 30%, which is what's recommended. Now, that's 10,000 total credit available, but one of those cards he has is half of that. It's 5,000. And he gets pissed off at that creditor for some reason. Who knows what? You know, maybe they say he had a late payment. And he said, no, I paid it on time. It was your processing that messed it up. Or maybe there's the annual fee that he doesn't like and he doesn't, you know, the rate's too high or whatever. So he closes that account, but he still owes $3,000 on his other cards. So now he owes 60% because he only has 5,000 available. So his credit usage went from 30% to 60%, and that would make his credit score drop significantly. I mean, you could drop a credit score 75 points just by doing that one thing, which is, you know, it can be brutal. But if you know you're going to close that credit card before you close it, first thing you do is you call them up and say, hey, can we get rid of this annual fee? Can we lower my interest rate? Worst they can say is no. 
If they say no, all right, we're going to leave that thing open. They've already charged the annual fee. So now you know you've got it calendared for next year. And between now and then, you add some additional credit card availability. You get a new credit card, you ask for increases on your existing card, something like that, and you replace it. And then you can close it, no big deal. Yeah, I did that. I tried to negotiate the fee. They wouldn't do it. It was just pointless. I mean, I have so many other credit cards. I have percentage-wise, that $500 was just a fraction of you know the credit I had available. So I, I wouldn't have imagined it would have affected my credit score like it did, but it did. It was like a, a very significant impact and very quick. It eventually recovered. It was like three or six months later, you know, the credit scores started to go up again, you know, significantly, but it just had such a big impact right away. So it was just a weird thing. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about establishing credit. You know, people have credit of some kind, good, bad, or otherwise. But for someone who's trying to establish credit, what's the starting point and what, what's the biggest piece of advice you can give to somebody when it comes to establishing that credit? So if you have no credit at all, then the first thing I would do is go to a credit union, not a bank, and get a secured credit card. And that's if you have either no credit or bad credit. Because what you're doing is you're giving them money to put in a savings account as security for that card. So if you want a $1,000 limit, you're going to put $1,000 into a savings account that you can't touch because it's security for that card. And you can establish your credit with that card. You use it, use it once a month for something you would normally pay cash for, pay it off when the bill comes, you're not paying any interest on it. And then, you know, over time, it builds your credit. And then uh, the other thing about that, the reason I say a credit union instead of a bank, there are two reasons, actually. Number one is a credit union is more likely to approve you than a bank. And second, credit unions give lower interest rates than banks. You know, so you, you go to a bank and you might end up with you know 33% interest rate. Go to a credit union, you might end up with less than 15. And chances are you're going to keep that card for longer than just during the time that it's secured. Because once you establish your credit, then you can ask them, hey, can we change this from secured to a regular card? And by the way, can we raise the limit? And then now you've got this card. If it started with a lower rate, then it's going to stay, stay with a lower rate. If you started with a higher rate, they're not going to all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to give you, you know, 11% on your interest rate. They're going to keep it at 33. Right. Okay. So that's group number one. Group number two are people who already have established credit, not maybe the best credit, stellar. You're probably in the 600s, maybe the low 700s, under 720. How do those people build better, stronger credit? I'm sure there's probably a lot of techniques or strategies here, but maybe you can share one or two of them. Sure. For somebody that's got actually you know, fairly decent credit, but they're not where they want to be. They're not in the upper 700s, but they're in the 700 range. I think one of the best ways to do it is to get an unsecured loan. You can't just get them anywhere. I mean, you, know, you walk into you know, your bank and they're going to say, well, we don't do unsecured loans. Or if you do, they need the same credit requirements that you would need to get like the best possible loan anyway. But there are several companies out there. I mean, there's, uh, you know, SoFi, there's uh, Earnest, PenFed, you know, Navy Federal Credit Union. You know, you got, you know, if you're not you know, ex-military, there's a little, you know, finagling you have to do to get into Navy. But PenFed, you don't have to be, I think, to get into there. But these guys will will approve you when you don't have the best credit score, but you have good payment history, especially if you're going to take that loan and use it to pay off other debt, particularly paying off credit cards, because then that's going to make your credit score jump. 
Interesting. Would you consider that a hack? Is that one of the hacks you like to refer to? Yeah, I would call that a hack for sure. Yeah. Okay. So if someone's not in the low 700s, let's say someone's in like mid sixes, 640, 660, which I know there are different breakpoints when it comes to credit scores. Like, you know, and these probably have changed over the years, but 620, I remember, was a breakpoint. And then there was 640, 660, you know, where you are more opt to be approved or you have a better interest rate than 7, 720, 740. I think 740 is that magical number where you get into like what's considered, you know, premium or exceptional credit. Yeah, you pretty much get what you want. Yeah. So are there other techniques or hacks that you would recommend someone to jump from those levels, 640, 660, 687, 720? The unsecured line is obviously a great one. Yeah, there's there's one that is it's really cool if you can do it. Okay. And it's called authorized user. And so you get added to somebody else's credit card as an authorized user. And obviously to do this, it has to be somebody that you trust and that they trust you. Typically it's gonna be somebody that's family, maybe a really close friend, you know, but it's not something that you wanna pay for. There are companies that will pay, will sell you this. Service. Oh, interesting. But you're, you're given your social security number, your birth date, your home address, to complete strangers that you don't get to use any of this credit. You're not applying for credit. So I think it's a bit dicey to do something like that. And, you know, it can get fairly expensive too. I've talked to people who have done it. I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. But if you can do it with a family member, you know, that has good credit, they don't carry a high balance on their card and you don't have to get added to all their cards, just one, you know, and, and you know, you got to approach them in, in the right way and explain to them that, hey, I don't want to use this card. I just need some help. In fact, the card can go to your house. I will never see it. I don't ever get to use it. And then you get added onto their card and you get not only the benefit of having them have a low balance and a high credit limit, but you also get their entire credit history on that card. So if they've got good payment history for 10 years, you suddenly have good payment history for 10 years on your credit. So you're riding on the coattails of someone else's good credit and credit history to help boost and bump your own credit score. Yeah. Huh. And it works great to help your kids establish credit too. Yeah. Interesting. That's a great suggestion. So if, if I came to you and said, or asked you, what would you say are the three best hacks, for lack of a better word, three best ways, three best hacks to boost my credit score slash credit profile or credit, you know, strength, but credit score, what would those top three be? I think you might have mentioned two of them already. But. I I, th I think we've already gone through all three of them. <laughs> um, but there's there's actually another one that most people don't even think of. But this one is particularly useful if you use your credit cards to pay for stuff all the time. Okay. If you're buying your groceries, you're doing your online shopping, you know whatever it is. Or, you know, if you buy everything on Amazon, you use one card for it and you pay it off at the end of the month chances are you're going to be running a fairly high balance by the end of the month. And so what you do is you find out when they're going to report to the credit bureaus, which is usually the same day that your statement is generated. So if you look at the statement date, you go, okay, well, they, they generated on the 23rd of the month. So then on the 21st or 22nd, pay the card off instead of waiting until you get your bill. And then they report zero balance. Interesting. And, you know, I've seen that, you know, for me, it probably makes, you know, 20 points of difference on my credit score every month. So how do you find that out? Do you call up the credit card company and ask them? You just look at your bill. So you look at what you look at your statement from the credit card company. Let's say you got your uh, credit card from B of A, and you go, okay, I'm gonna look at this. All right, the statement date. It has a statement cutoff date, and it shows like the 23rd of the month. You go, okay, good. So I'm gonna pay it one or two days before that. Yeah. 
I was going to say there's, there's going to be difference between the statement date, which to me is not that important, and the reporting date, which to me is the important date. Well, they're usually the same because what they're doing is that's, that's their statement cutoff date. It's not the actual date they send you your statement. The statement is not available to you for you know a couple more days after that usually. I have a credit union that I have an account with, and I found out that they don't cut it off that way. And so I did trial by trial and error where I did it. And then I was like, oh, crap, I missed it because they reported the last day of the month every month. So I'm like, all right, last day of the month, that's the day to pay that one off. So the hack you're referring to is to pay off your credit card ideally in full about two business days before the, the closing date or the statement date. Yes. And you do that religiously every month. And that effectively shows you have a zero balance whenever they, as in your credit card company, reports your credit balance to the credit bureaus. And it, even though you're running a balance, it shows you have a zero balance. Exactly. I love that. And you still, you still get your points. If you have a card with points or miles red, you still get all those. Yeah, that's a great hack. Cool. Okay, so kind of the part three of my three-part question about you know establishing credit, building credit. Now, the third part is is how do you protect your credit? And this might be a simple answer, but you know you're taking the time and energy to build up your credit score, credit profile. You have stellar credit. Now you don't want to damage it. How do you protect it? Obviously, you don't want any late payments. That's probably the most obvious thing. But are there other things you can do to help protect your credit? Absolutely. Number one thing that I recommend is that when you're shopping online, you have one card for shopping online and you do everything on that card because then if it gets compromised somehow, it's just one card. Never use your debit card for online purchases because what happens is if that gets compromised, then it puts your bank account at risk and not just your card. If you can get a card replaced, you know, in, in just a couple of days, usually, well, a few days, depending on who has the account, but a debit card, if they take money out of your bank account, that could cause a real problem. You know, you got to pay rent or mortgage or, you know, whatever you got to pay. If your cash is compromised, then, you know, that is a big problem. Interesting. So you're suggesting using a credit card, not a debit card for all online purchases and having more than one card, uh, one for your online shopping and then one for your offline real world purchases. Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. Okay. So that, that's a protection mechanism. That's not, that doesn't do anything for your credit, right? Right, right. exactly. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've had, I've had one of my credit cards compromised at least three or four times. And it's very frustrating because Wells Fargo will call you and tell you, okay, were these your charges? You say no. And then they say, okay, well, we're, we're, we're going to close your card down starting right now because we're reporting this as fraudulent activity and to protect you, which is very frustrating because I'm traveling and I need my credit card to pay for things. Now I can't use it. How's that protecting me? You know, we're basically closing your card. We're going to send you another one, but that doesn't help me in the meantime. Now I have to, you know, use my debit card or find some other way. Okay. But that's good advice as far as how to protect your credit. Is there anything else you want to, you know, talk about or add to that in terms of protecting your credit? What do you think of those credit, what are they called? There's services that charge you a monthly fee to monitor your credit and, you know, notify you immediately and, you know, kind of lock your credit. LifeLock, I think, was one of them. LifeLock. They lock your credit system or score down so nothing can be affected or reported on. Is is that legit? Yeah, it, it is legit. And I think the one thing that that could be useful for is if you're afraid that somebody is, you know, trying to 
use your identity to apply for credit. You know, if, if that becomes an issue, you know, or, you know, maybe if somebody's getting divorced, you know, so if you're getting divorced and you want to just have a, a clean break and have, you know, your soon to be ex not have access to your stuff, you know, you could say, okay, no new credit is being applied for. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of other, you know, things that are involved with all that. But I think for most people, just on an ongoing daily basis, there's probably not enough need for it to justify the expense because you can keep track of your own credit. I mean, you know, unless you've got 30 credit cards you're trying to keep track of, that's a lot of cards. If you have somewhere between three and seven cards, for most people, that's plenty. Yeah, it really is. You mentioned divorce. Can divorce affect your credit just because of the sake that it's a divorce? Not that, you know, whoever your spouse is you're divorcing is like trying to charge everything under the sun to your card. Uh, no, divorce by itself will not affect your credit. But uh, there's actually a, a chapter in my book about divorce, you know, handling it. Because if you're getting divorced, you need to actually be proactive so that you don't have two people going their separate ways with their credit ruined because of emotions. If you go in and go, all right, well, let's agree to a few things and, you know, get this sorted out so that you've got your own accounts, you know, separate them out and don't, you don't want to get caught with, okay, well, she gets that house, he gets this house, and then he's supposed to make the payment on her house and he doesn't, and it's affecting her credit and he doesn't care about his credit. You know, I've seen stuff like that happen before. Right. Interesting. So I've heard that no credit can actually be worse than having bad credit. Is that true? How does that work? I wouldn't say that it's worse. It might be worse to some people. I wouldn't say it's worse. I think what it basically does is it gives you a clean slate. So you can start and it may take a little bit longer to build up than somebody who has bad credit, but it depends on the reason they have bad credit too. I mean, you know, if you've got, you know, quote unquote bad credit because your credit cards are charged up to 95% of what's available, you know, depending on the amount, it could take a long time to pay that down. Right. If you have bad credit because you had late payments, yeah, you, if you can get everything cleaned up and get those payments all handled and up to date, you know, after a year, usually your credit score can be pretty good, all other things being equal. Whereas, you know, building credit, it could take, you know, a year, two years to, to really build up your credit. Yeah, interesting. Kind of the last thing I want to ask you is about bankruptcy. There's so much misinformation around bankruptcy. I've heard many things. What I've boiled everything I've learned about bankruptcy down as far as it relates to credit is that... The first year, don't count on getting any credit. After two years, some lenders will start to open up to you knowing that you have a BK on your credit profile. Then I think it's after seven years, I've heard seven and 10, but after seven years, that BK could be or should be wiped off your credit report, certainly after 10. But anyway, that's all I know. What can you tell me about bankruptcy and how it affects one's credit? Okay, so the first thing to know about bankruptcy is that you've got different types. The most common are chapter seven, which is where everything just gets wiped out. And chapter 13, which is where you have a payment plan. And some things can get wiped out, but you have a payment plan to get everything paid off, usually over three or five years. And the chapter 13 goes on your credit and stays there until you're seven years out from having it filed. A chapter seven will stay on there for 10 years after it's completed. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is when you're looking at what the effect is and your ability to get credit, you can still get that secured credit card immediately. 
So you can, and I recommend it because if you're going through bankruptcy, as soon as it's done, get that first secured credit card. If you can be added onto somebody's credit as an authorized user, do it because you're building up good credit history faster. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, it's going to ruin your credit for seven years. Not true because you can actually get an FHA mortgage, which is a pretty decent mortgage after three years. And if they're extenuating circumstances, it could be after two years. And, you know, extenuating circumstances could be, you know, divorce or you know, some kind of illness or something. It's really up to the, the mortgage lender to determine if it's legitimately, you know, a reason they can do it after two years as opposed to three. But there are still other programs you can get after one year. And there's some even you can get immediately, just it's going to cost you more. And after four years, you're basically in a spot where the bankruptcy is not going to prevent you from getting credit as long as you've kept your credit clean after that. So it sounds like the worst case scenario or best case scenario is after one year, you can start getting credit with a bankruptcy unless it's FHA. Well, no, even with FHA, you can't. So, so you can get some credit immediately. Usually the stuff you can get immediately, if it's not like a private money loan on real estate, got it. Then it's not, it's either going to be secured or you're added as an authorized user onto somebody's account got it. or completely predatory. Okay. Interesting. Now, what, what are the rules with conventional financing? How many years after your bankruptcy has been discharged, can you start qualifying for conventional loans? Four years for a uh, you know, regular conventional loan, and then three years for you know, the FHA, which is pretty close to conventional. Okay, got it. Interesting. Before we wrap it up here, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you about credit, credit repair, credit hacks? This is such an interesting topic, and I'm sure we can go down you know, kind of all kinds of different paths and rabbit holes about it. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about this all day long, literally, and not reach the end. So I think you covered pretty much everything. But one thing I definitely do want to point out is that the whole thing with credit inquiries, you know, that makes up 10% of your score. And so, you know, depending on which credit bureau it's on, you know, it can make up a maximum of 55 points of difference. But it's not just on credit inquiries, it's also new accounts is included into that bucket. And how long does that stay on as, a, as an inquiry before it's dropped and your score goes back up where it's supposed to be? One year. An inquiry can last a year. It, wow. Well, it stays on your credit report for two years, but it only affects your score for one. So is there a real danger in having multiple inquiries if you're shopping, which I think is a legitimate thing to do if you're shopping around for a loan for the best rate and terms? It depends on the type of loan. If you're getting a mortgage or a car loan, then you're given a brief period where you can shop as much as you want, have your credit pulled, you know, a hundred times and it counts as one inquiry. And that time period is either two weeks or 45 days, depending on which credit scoring model they're using. So I recommend keep it to two weeks because then you're sure. Right. I did not know that. That's very interesting. Good to know. You got a two week window. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You know, it helps because when you go shop for a car, if they don't quite have the car you want or they, they can't quite get the, the model you want or you don't like the terms, you know, you know you've got that freedom to go somewhere else and it's not going to cost you any on your credit. Right. Yeah. Good advice. Very cool, Todd. Well, Todd, listen, this has been very interesting. I know we can go on. You've got a great book. It's called, uh, what is it? Crack the Credit Code. Yes, Crack the Credit Code. So share with our listeners where they can find you, learn more about you and your 
find your book and anything else that you might be involved in? Well, I've got trackmycredit.com, which is you can buy it, you know, the, the ebook, or you can get the hard copy on Amazon. And then, uh, you know, if, well, as we already discussed, I do mortgages, you know, primarily in California. That's where I'm licensed, and you know, I could do some other stuff outside of California, just not, you know, the owner occupied stuff. Because you got to be licensed wherever you're doing those. Other states, you don't necessarily have to for the others. But, you know, if somebody wanted to contact me, they could actually call me up. My office phone is 707-401-8080. And that's on your website, I assume? Yes, it is. Okay. Give out your website one more time. Crackmycredit.com. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll get that in show notes and transcribed for the website as well. This has been great. I appreciate you taking the time today, Todd. Um, this is all fascinating stuff. So uh, hopefully people have learned more about the credit, how they can hack a better score. So thanks for coming on. All right, thanks for having me on. Great. Well, I hope you found this episode helpful. Credit is clearly important and something you should be aware of, if not working on, on and off throughout the year. And I think there was a lot of good tips and hacks that were shared with us today. So um, if you haven't been working on this stuff, maybe now is a good time to start monitoring and working on your credit to improve it so you can get better rates and qualify for better financing of all kinds, including mortgage financing. Anyway, that is it for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Download the free report on our website, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. We have free strategy sessions with our investment counselors if you're interested in investing in real estate or even promissory notes. They're available. Just go to our websites and uh, set up an appointment. That is it for today. Remember to subscribe if you haven't done so. Thank you for listening and we will see you all on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.